Hello friends, Pastor Steve with you today. Thank you again for tuning in and following along with us as we uh, move through this coronavirus moment, this social distancing moment. Hey, there's a lot of ways to stay up to date on what is going on uh, with Discovery, ways to be connected to our community, and uh, you can be doing that through our app. And if you get into our app, I would highly, highly recommend uh, filling out the new visitor card, even if you've been around for a long time. This is a great way to make sure that uh, your information is up to date and we have all of that uh, on file. Um, there's also social media and our webpage and so many different ways to stay connected. And of course, one of them is uh, our Sunday morning digital gatherings, which you can uh, find on our YouTube channel. And then you can... Also, continue to follow along with our, uh, particularly our teaching through the podcast. So thanks for joining uh, in on this one as we take some time to look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, continuing our journey through the book of 1 Samuel. So we're in chapter 8 today, and to get us into this, I want to begin with, okay, I have always loved books, and I've loved bookstores, uh Friends, youngins, bookstores are physical locations where you can go and look at books, hold them in your hands, flip through the pages, browse, and then actually purchase them on site. They are a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, many years ago, I believe I was probably like fifth or sixth grade, I was in one of these bookstores doing some browsing, and I discovered a book that immediately captured my attention and affection. I wanted this book so bad. Now, I don't remember why I didn't just buy it right there. I must not have had any money on me, but I know I wanted it, and I wanted someone to get it for me, but I did not tell anyone about this desire. I guess I felt like it should have been obvious, and over the coming days and weeks, I talked about it all the time. The next time we went to a bookstore, I found it again. I tried to make it so clear, but I never actually told anyone I wanted this book. So for several years, I went through this cycle where I would desperately hope that this book would show up for me on a birthday or Christmas or special event, whatever it might have been, and I'd get my hopes all ramped up and then it wouldn't be there. I'd open whatever gifts there were for me. It would not be among the gifts. And so my hope would turn to this crushing disappointment. And I remember cycling through this multiple times. And at some point, I guess I just got over it and moved on. Now, you're probably wondering, okay, Steve, what was this book that you got so worked up about? Well, it was the complete stories of Sherlock Holmes. I I was a big fan of Sherlock Holmes, and I wanted this book so badly. And to be honest, I several years later, ended up getting a copy of this book. And it came in a funny way. I I finally confessed, I believe I was in college, I I finally confessed my deep disappointment about not owning this book to my family. And I believe one of my sisters went and bought it for me for Christmas. So friends, dreams do come true. Part of being a human being, part of the human experience on this side of Genesis Three in our broken and messed up world, part of being human is facing disappointment. We all carry with us wounds 
of disappointment from things that are far more egregious, right, than Sherlock Holmes or or some thing that we were all worked up about in our younger days. There are holes, there are things that are missing. There is an incompleteness to life that we sense and feel deep in our beings. Father Ronald Rollheiser says it this way, when we fail to mourn properly our incomplete lives, then this incompleteness becomes a nine restlessness, a bitter center that robs our lives of all delight. Do you know what he's talking about there? That nine restlessness, that bitter center, that sense of incompleteness. Are you with me? Now, 1 Samuel chapter 8, the story begins like this. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba, but his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. So appoint us a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now, over the last several chapters, we've seen God choose Samuel to be Israel's leader. And we've seen as a backdrop to all of this, just how messed up Israel was at this time. The religious institution had failed. Their leadership was deeply corrupt. The people were a mess. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And from that mess, Samuel emerges and he is at first, this beacon of hope, but then he also comes through on that incredible promise. In chapter 7, he leads Israel uh, through this amazing moment of renewal. Summarized in, in uh, 1 Samuel 7, verse 2, all the people of Israel turn back to the Lord. And then as we read on, there's repentance and confession. The people begin to obey and they fast and they destroy their idols and their enemies, the Philistines, are subdued. It's just this obvious leadership win for Samuel. He, he's almost a superhero level at this point in the story. But then we flip the page and chapter 8 opens and we see that some time has passed. And we see some familiar sad patterns repeating. Nepotism. Samuel's Sons are given leadership, but then they fall into this pattern of corruption, and it leads the people of Israel to go looking for leadership in other places. We want to be like everyone else. We want a king. When they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. 1 Samuel 8, 6. Now, there's much to be said about this decision to pursue a king, and in the coming weeks, I hope to explore this a little bit more. But for now, we're just going to say this. This was not the way that God intended it to be. He's going to make a concession by giving them this king. But what I want us to focus on now is Samuel's reaction. Now, the literal translation of the Hebrew here is that Samuel thought this was evil. Most English translations say he was displeased. Samuel, we will say, is deeply disappointed. Deeply disappointed, and he handles his disappointment like a human being, not like a superhero. We see his struggles. We see his struggles as a parent, his struggles with his attitude, his struggles with communicating as a leader. We see him take his disappointment out on the people. God tells him what to tell them, 
But then as you read through the rest of chapter 8, Samuel embellishes this quite a bit. He really goes off on the people in verses 11 through 18 in particular. But despite the humanness, despite his struggle, Samuel does one incredibly healthy, wise thing with his disappointment. When they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. When Samuel was disappointed, he prayed. Now we've defined prayer before in a couple of different ways, but one of the definitions we've used is that prayer is a long, loving look at what is real. Prayer is a long, loving look at what is real. And what is real for Samuel is that he is bummed out. This is not the way I wanted things to go. This feels like a rejection. This feels like a failure. Was I not good enough? Was I not enough? Now, one of the things that's fascinating to me about this story is that God is not the least bit put off by any of this, both the people's request for a king, but then also Samuel's frustration and disappointment. God engages Samuel in an honest conversation. The Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected. They have rejected me as their king. Essentially, God says, hey, it's not you, it's me. Now, a couple of things that we learn about disappointment from this story. First, it's not wrong. It is not a sin to feel disappointed. Again, part of the human experience post-Genesis chapter 3 is this experience of being disappointed. And we see disappointment, frustration, lament, sadness at how things have turned out expressed all throughout Scripture. And of course, the Psalms give us some of the best language in the entire Bible for this feeling. How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? It's not wrong. It is not a sin to feel disappointed. But it is wise to take your disappointment to God. Pray your disappointment. Now, this prayer doesn't have to be a, dear God, like, help me get over this as fast as can kind of prayer. Not at all. You can pray, God, this is how I feel. I'm displeased. I'm disappointed. How long will this go on? Again, God is not the least bit put out by Samuel's displeasure. In fact, he seems totally unsurprised by the whole thing. Almost like he knew this was going to happen. And he reassures Samuel, this is not about you. It's about me. Third thing, our disappointment can actually be a means of experiencing God's grace. Disappointment can actually be a gift a signal of a deep desire that is not being met. Now, in the immediate story, Samuel experiences God's grace through God's gentle response to his displeasure. But scoping out for a moment, back to the Psalms, we see many Psalms that express lament also hold in tension the ways that God cares for us through our disappointment. Back to that example from Psalm 89. In the middle of it, how long, O Lord? And at the beginning and the end, we read things like this. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. The tension between our disappointment and God's faithfulness. 
So we see God's grace in his tender response to Samuel, but then we also see his grace in giving Israel a king because in the long view, in the big picture story of scripture, he's setting his people up for a Messiah. He's setting them up for Jesus. Now today is Palm Sunday, the day we remember and celebrate Jesus's triumphant entry into Jerusalem as king. Except if you really dig into this story, it's really not all that triumphant. Most of the people who are excited about this are his disciples. Everyone else is a little bit skeptical about what is going on. Jesus rides into the city on a donkey, not on a war horse. And then he's going to die very soon, not take over a seat of political authority. Quite frankly, the whole thing ended up being pretty disappointing for some people. Luke 19.14, we don't want this man to be our king. Jesus, though, in this moment, also expresses his disappointment. He arrives in Jerusalem. He weeps over the city, Luke 19, 41. But from that disappointment and from this rejection comes Israel's redemption, comes our salvation. Jesus, when he comes out of the grave a week later, shows he's the king the people have been longing for going all the way back to the day's of Samuel. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Hebrews 1, 3, Jesus is king. Now Israel would go on to have a lot of bad kings, and we certainly see leaders who fall short all the time, but the good news of the story of Scripture is that there is a better leader, there is a better king, and his name is Jesus. Now, four questions for us as we wrap this conversation up. Question number one, what are you disappointed by right now? If you're like me, you probably have a long list. I'm lamenting the loss of life that we are seeing, the impact that the coronavirus is having on people, both the direct and the indirect impact, the way that it's uh, just so dramatically altered the way that we live. I'm lamenting the loss of my normal routine. I'm lamenting not being able to see you guys on a regular basis, lamenting uh, my kids' school being shut down for the rest of the year. I'm disappointed by many things. But question number two, have I talked with God about these things? Have you talked with God about the things you are disappointed by? Have you prayed your disappointment? Have you voiced the lament? Take it to God. He can handle it. Third question. What longing or desire is underneath your disappointment? As we like to say around here, what's the thing behind the thing? Is it a longing for intimacy, for connection that's not being fulfilled right now? Is it a longing for uh, for normal What's the thing behind the thing? Take a long, loving look at what's real and and what that desire might be pointing you towards, what that disappointment might be pointing you towards. Which leads to the final question. How might this desire be a means of God's grace? 
Where does Jesus, our King, show up in this disappointment? Where do you need to invite the humble Jesus riding on a donkey, coming to bring peace into your life so that you can experience his grace? There's a passage of scripture in the book of Ephesians that I've been coming back to often in these last days and weeks. And I want to end this time here now by praying this over you. So wherever you are right now, unless you're driving, (laughs) close your eyes, calm your body, take a couple of deep breaths. And then allow these words to be your prayer. Open your hands even if that helps in a a posture of receiving. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 17 to 23. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he create when he raised Christ from the dead. Let me say that again. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Grace and peace, friends.